Welcome back to another episode of the Exterminos Podcast, all things competitive in the world of Warhammer 40,000. My name's Eric, with me is my co-host Robert. Hello. And we are back with lots of news breaking late in the week. Uh, the player packet for Las Vegas Open is in its final draft, and we've got lots of news uh, right before the tournament. So we're right now, as of this recording, roughly five, six weeks out from the tournament. A uh, couple key facts in there that we really want to talk about. Number one, let's start with um, what armies will be allowed and which ones won't. Well, as per the article from the FLG judges, a.k.a. Selgy John and the TFG radio crew, they have made the official decision that the new guard codex is, sorry, you're not going to come to this party. Whereas in comparison, all of the recent games workshop events have supposedly allowed brand new box forces like the votan and whatnot so not sure like that obviously is going to shaft some people the wrong way because they wanted to play new guard well they don't get to play new guard as yeah, so a bit clear the uh, rules cutoff for lvo is january 15th which is a little late to be honest i thought that was pretty generous of them but the long and the short of it was yes the um the the idea was the it was echoed that Games Workshop's official policy, lack of a better term, is that if it's in a promotional box like the latest box, the Katie Stands box, it is not in widespread release. Therefore, the codex has not truly been released until it is in its individual form. So therefore, it should not be allowed in competitive play. Correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't we have a similar situation with the orcs and they still let this play? Yeah. And that's why this season and last season, we now have a back-to-back SoCal win with, because I'm pretty sure, so I don't know if the Orc Codec was released right before SoCal or not. I can't remember because I know it was a travesty to try and get it, but it's, I think this is a kind of a, we're going to temper the playing field a little bit because new guard is as far as i can hypothesize is a little crazy because casterkins are utterly they're not broken on paper at least when you look at their data but it's the overlapping abilities that can all be thrown onto a single unit so maybe the the judge team looked at that and went we can't have this running around because i know there's a combination in that book that can literally have Kasserkin firing three shots each, ignoring feel no pains and wound caps and like hitting on twos or threes or something. It's it's a really strong combination that can look at things like Abaddon, like Gazgol, like Catan, um, and just delete them off the table if they're out in the open and the Kasserkin can see them and the Kasserkin get all their buffs. Yeah, but it's hearing quite a bit of these crazy combos. You're just like, wow. And um, the other thing also hearing is supposedly once the codex comes out, there's going to be another balanced data slate. And it's questioning whether they're going to repeal some of the changes from the previous data slate. For example, armor content on Lehman Russes and the lack of penalties for indirect fire. So because from what we can tell, none of those are in the codex. But mm-hmm. So I I believe that the intent for the new book is the balanced data slate is there to refresh armies to be playable in the current state of the game, which is why Armor of Contempt was introduced anyway, because a, um, AP values were getting so drastically high that Space Marines were relying on storm shields to survive and even then as a custodian player you live and die by your coin flips and that's not a healthy way to look at the game because things would kill marine equivalents with a stiff breeze when armor of contempt was brought into the and mortal wounds were becoming even more were starting to be focused again rather than something like how admic did not factoring in the access to the mortal wound strats and everything else when they were unnerfed back when they came out because that's all i think that had a cap on it somewhere like you could only take six mortal wounds from the wrath of mars or something that sounds about right Can't but it was just a tech number it was yeah 
it was but it was just a sheer amount of shots that came out of 20-man ranger bricks or 20-man vanguard squads that could just eat things for breakfast you didn't even have to the mortal wounds were on the icing on the cake so it was as long as it gets you down to six wounds you just die so if the if the judge crew is making the call of we don't want an we don't want something to potentially come in and destroy the game in a in like a metal relevance idea that's definitely on them and i mean at that point if you have any questions their their emails and stuff are in the player packet if you're going to lvo if you want an exact questionnaire as to why i mean salty john is going to be salty john he's going to be rather quippy with his response probably but he's a good guy yeah so it's it's disposition one way or the (laughs) other i mean yeah there's a lot here's the thing especially when it comes to salty john and um there's a lot of thought to what he is trying to say. Sometimes his delivery is not always the best. And um, I think what they saw the writing on the wall and said, like, we have another Iron Hands situation on our hands. And we're mm-hmm. going to cut it off this time. We're not We're not going to play into that. And um, which is, I think, might be a smart thing. I mean, it's a very, yeah, you're, you're pissing off the guard players of the world. On the flip side, though... Is the guard even if it was an exact? You know, everybody played the same codex, equal amount of time. You know, times. What about the other thirty-one factions that are showing up? You know, that's it, sort of the we're trying to make this fun for everyone, and especially when you've got a thousand people coming, it's a very del- delicate balancing act. And I think this was a pretty much a no-brainer that you needed to do. Um, yeah, uh, it's there's a lot. Yeah, but there's there's more changes to come. We'll get to that in a second, but. It's. I feel bad, but um, on the same token, I don't know if I would want to start start preparing for a new army with six weeks to go. I'll tell you that. Yeah, I know Guard is probably going to be a really fun army for a lot of people to play because they still get to play their nice mix of tanks and troops and everything else. I mean, for Pete's sake, you can bring the, the Death Strike missile for the silly shenanigans of potentially 16 mortal wounds. Ooh. You can do that and be really silly about it, but uh, overall, it's a people have fun with that codex. If you're playing that codex to win, well, then sorry, you're you're gonna have to try harder by playing the old book instead of taking what's the current what's on the current hot plate. Going, oh yeah, no, this thing is super amazing. It hasn't been balanced yet. Well, again, quoting the player packet here, they're not taking any any new materials supplements or anything after january 15th there's a caveat to official gw erratas such as a balanced data slate that if they release within the two week from so if they release before the 27th which if we look at the calendar if it any new rules or erratas release the release before the start of the event on friday the judges will take a case-by-case choice on whether or not to allow it and update the packet as need be or make an announcement at the start of the event so yeah if by some magic the guard codex comes out at the start of january which something else is supposedly getting released on the start of january as you will have the ability to talk about eric and then the balanced data slate gets released before the 15th, then the judges have another chance to look over the player packet and look at the changes to go, okay, we will actually let New Guard come to the event, which at that point will then, it'll be another pissing off of the Guard players because, well, we're bringing a different army to the event, or I sold my ticket because you didn't let me come play my army. So now what am I supposed to do? So it's a six of one, half of the other kind of situation. And I think the, the judge crew made the smart decision of pulling the band-aid and just going nah rub dirt in it and you guys will be fine and we will not have any questions asked about it yeah it's, I mean, the point is it's now you have a clear delineation move forward so what's wrong with it mm-hmm. uh second big change they talked about in the rules packet uh not a real big change we all saw this one coming uh, lo and behold they will be running nephilim missions at lvo no big deal um why was making such a deal of this? Well, it was announced during the video of the last balance day of slate that the new mission pack will be coming out in January, uh, ideally the first week of January. So 
those who will not be going to LVO can start practicing the new missions while the old missions are still being played because that those last few weeks there in January are going to be spent getting a lot of practice time in and get ready for, for the event. Mm -hmm. So curious to see what direction the new missions will go, but um, it'd be a very interesting have and have nots being able to pivot real quick between the two mission packs. Mm -hmm. The, the big thing that I want to see from the next mission pack, whatever they call it, because they went from Nachmund to Nephilim. They just need one more <laughs> N. I don't know what that might be. I'll look up something here. I'll find it. <laughs> but the what I want them to do is I want them to go back to how they're doing, how they did the Nachmund book, how they did the Age of Sigmar General's Handbook ones, where it's that really nice spiral-bound book where you can flip over the book and have it on your page and not have to basically tear your spine in half to try and hold it in place. I just took mine to a store and said, chop this off and can you make this spiral-bound for me? And... I mean, you, you did that. I didn't do that because... I, I was worried that if I took it there, they'd look at me like a weirdo. And oh, go, they did. No. Oh, they did. They're looking at me like, hey, who's the weirdo here? And I'm like, uh, I have I have legal tender, and I will pay you for this. All right, fine. Yeah. All right, fair enough. Uh, other big change for the player pack is uh, introduction. They went over some uh, interesting terrain rules. Uh, the good news is, yes, the magic boxes are not back. and um, But they did specify that, I guess, the bottom floor windows will be covered on all terrain pieces, which I'm just kind of like, maybe I've just been living under a rock. I always thought that was the rule at LVO. <laughs> did, did I miss something? Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I don't know why such a big deal is being made of this. But um, as well as um, you were going over it, just how the divide no man's land is a very big deal deviation from what's in the Neph current Nephilim pack. I was really surprised by this. So for those of you that are familiar with player place terrain as it's becoming the new competitive standard so that way both players have a chance to, if they're bad at playing the game with their minis, but they're good at blocking their opponent from playing the game by putting terrain, haha, -ha, you, you might have a chance there. But they, they cut the table in half more often than not. Now, because the table is five feet long and not four feet wide, sometimes the lines can get a little weird if you're drawing diagonals. And the Dawn of War and Hammer and Anvil, those ones are nice and simple. Just cut the table in half and that's yours. This is mine. We're all hunky-dory. Then you get to the old, um, the vital intelligence deployment with the really big triangles that go along the long table edge. And then you get the search and destroy corners with the big inch of nine and the big nine inch no man's land bubble those ones are easy you just cut it from corner to corner like that it's the other one which i think is on the debt the tear down their icons mission i think where the triangles on the long table edge go halfway up the table so you have 30 inches along that edge and then they go all the way up to the other corner so 44 inches by 30 inches of a triangle that one the the table half is cut into a z a backwards Z specifically, and it bothers me. Because the Z is backwards, or just because the deployment zone? Um, <laughs> both. <laughs> so the this deployment zone in the FLG book, you have 15 inches outside of the outside of the bottom of your deployment zone. So where it ends on the long table edge for 30 inches, you go 15 more inches, and then you stop. And then you and your opponent have to draw a line through the middle of the table to each of those points. And that is how they cut the table in half, which I mean, is easy enough. Like once you figure out deployment zones and you look at how big no man's land is, you cut no man's land in half, always cutting through the center of the battlefield. But it's just like, why, why is this like, why is it like that? I, I rationalized it as, because if you cut it from corner to corner, like, following the other triangle deployments, you could potentially shove a building all the way up against your opponent's deployment zone and not in their deployment zone, but up against it. So your opponent can't really put anything there. And you made a point, Eric, that they could just mirror you and <laughs> have a bowling ball table. Yeah. The other thing I've been seeing, cause I was trying to figure out, maybe I missed something, you know, it's um, there's a higher level of play that I'm just not uh, tapping into and a lot of the WTCC people that I've been talking to 
do the opposite. They simply have changed it where they have two small ruins are now placed at center center field and they're spread out apart. So the terrain, the, um, I can talk, the uh, objective is in the middle and then the two terrain pieces are on either side of it. So on just about every table, they have that. So there's not only with player place terrain, you can't jam something in your opponent's face at center of field, it has to be to a flank. And you're also guaranteed that even if a, a newer player who you mentioned, okay, has the opposite, they're really good at the game. They're not used to this terrain setup thing. They don't shoot themselves in the foot by leaving themselves on planet bowling ball when they're, they need something to hide behind. There's at least the center field is covered. And it seems like a much simpler solution. And I love this one article that I read actually gave an example using the FLG terrain, how to do this. So you don't need to buy that crappy WTC terrain. It, it was a pretty simple solution. I was like, what? Cause it even has windows. So if you're on the center objective, you're still going to get shot. But the point is you can't mm-hmm. shoot through the ruins if you're on the other side of it. So, yeah. So it's taking advantage of the obscuring keyword. Cause I know when we originally tried out the, games workshop terrain placement where it was literally crates crates building 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 forest forest crater crater that kind of thing where it's a nice symmetrical table if your crates were really big where you stack them too tall instead of potentially three tall like the games workshops ones can because they're much they're a little smaller as long as you have them overlapping and away from each other that makes a nice solid line of sight blocking thing for your troops and for smaller tanks whereas knights and stuff they can still see over the crate, but once your vehicle tucks up close enough behind that crate, the knight can't see you. I think that's a nice way to block the center of objective without putting a gigantic piece of obscuring terrain, which then has to be moved away from the objective. No, I agree with that. I still think there should be, well, going into a totally another topic, I just want to focus on the LVL terrain. There's, But there is some uneven amounts of terrain, um, and I get it. They're trying to sell the terrain that they have in the warehouse, but uh, sooner or later you have to look at this isn't viable. Uh, these pieces are great. These pieces need changes. And uh, the good news is the current system with the keywords allows you to fix a couple things without having to break out the Dremel. So we'll see how it works. I do remember playing on the, t- I remember looking at the very first packet. Uh, two, three years, oh God, it's four years ago? Four years ago when they ran this style terrain and I was like, ew. But when I actually played on it, it was like, okay, this wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. So who knows? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the last bit about touching on the terrain is they actually do clarify that there's only five types of terrain. There are doors, mine, ours. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's, there's two different kinds of ruins. One of the ruins has dents attached to it another one of the ruins does not so that one is where people will have to be sure to remember otherwise there's armored containers woods and a ridge which the only two things in the entire packet that don't have obscuring terrain are the armored containers and the woods so the ridge has obscuring both of the ruins have obscuring yep I would say get get some practicing and get practice with that terrain, uh, getting used to it. Uh, best advice I even heard was just before your like opponent even shows up, and if you got some time at home, practice just laying out the terrain and uh, placing it. And one trick I used to do to see if I had a line of sight is I put the terrain down, turn the lights off, and then took a flashlight. And wherever the flashlight shone through, that's line of sight. And it's really easy mm-hmm. to see, okay, what can I actually shoot at? And what can be shot at from my opponent and just keep repeating and turn the lights on, do it over shifting things around. So you can figure out what fits, what doesn't fit. You brought up a great example, different models, different heights, uh, flying stands make a big difference. Uh, it's going to be another thing when it comes to modeling for advantage, sawing down your flight stands. Um, one thing I run into with my yeah. Drukari, those dumb sails, God, they look cool as hell, but they stick out all over the place. I'm like, I'm going to target that two millimeters above your... Oh, yes, let's, you can see it. Oh, damn it. <laughs> or like when the Chapter Master Shrike came out for Raven Guard all the way back at the start of Ninth Edition where he stands on top of a gigantic spire off of a 40 millimeter base. 
I mean, people complain about the Harlequin but, models too, which is funny. You know, the, oh, oh uh, yeah, with them all yeah. bending and dancing, and yeah, the but no, the the terrain pat the terrain stuff. I think they've found a sweet spot for it where they only worry about five types of things. They have everything kind of laid out where certain things are marked with an asterisk. They are each labeled with a letter and the terrain on most tables is pretty much even. There are some tables that have un- unequal terrain, like their industrial base one, but that's a much, that's like an in-depth thing of LVO terrain. And if you want, you can always go look at their website and see what the terrain is like and whether or not you would want to own it. I know I'm going to own at least one of these sets eventually because if I'm going to these events, I'm going to practice on it. Well, if you need to borrow one of mine, I have the orc set. If you want to practice with that, let me know. I'd be more than happy to let you borrow it. Well, I'm going to probably talk about the plan, talk about the streaming plans that I've mentioned on several other episodes. Now that things are actually starting to come more together, I'll be estimating an actual start date for that. And I'll probably talk about it at the end of the episode for finishing stuff because it's not as important as what else we have to talk mm. about today, which. How much do we have left to talk Quite about a bit. today? And that, folks, in the industry is what we call a teaser for later in the show. So, uh, Last little bit of competitive news in the player pack, and we talk about all things competitive here on this show, and that is also the painting competition. We have a new painting rubric, which is perfect when you only have six weeks left to paint. Now, if you're like me, a third of my army gets painted the four days before LBO, so it's just not a problem. I'm, I'm good to go. But uh, for those of you who are a little more competitive and need a little more time to paint, um, Robert, what can you tell us about this new rubric? Well, first I'm going to laugh at you because my custodes have been painted for a year. Ha, 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 ha. Now, the worst part is, yes, I painted my, I'd say literally a third of my army four days before LBO. And then they go, well, wow, that, was, that, that really shows. I'll, I'll, I'll repaint. It's been four years. I still haven't repainted them. <laughs> they still look. <laughs> but to, to make myself sweat, my night army is painted for the Sunday RTT, but I still have the entire display board, and I think I'm giving up on the battle damage detail on the buildings because you know how hard it is to drill a hole into GW yeah, plastic? Like Kevlar. Holy crap. And and have it look like it's been exploded. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I'll, I'll, I think I'll do something crafty about that. But anyway, so the entire painting rubric is out of 80 points. When you read through it, first of all, it's kind of hard to look at because I originally thought I was out of 120. I was like, how do they get 120? No. Um, and for those of you that like truth or dare, these are all yes and no questions. It is two points per yes and zero points per no. Yeah, simple painting rubric. Okay. I like the yes-no part of it. Not sure why it's two points, not one, but okay. I don't know why the thing doesn't add up to 100 points. just like a game, but uh, I'm okay with it. Let's go. Yeah, it's the the one bit that does make me sad, because I know I've emailed them before about my Constantine stand-in for Trajan, and I've not gotten a response. I think I got a response from them once for my Constantine stand-in. But the second time I checked, I didn't get a response. So at that point, if people have an issue with Constantine, I'll have Trajan along with me. But yeah, there's a specific thing of your the proxies have to be approved to be part of the base 40 points you can get. Otherwise, it's like, nope, you lose out on two points. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. And then the, um, the rules are pretty vague, too. It's you know, send pictures of the model and hope for a response. So... And um, if you want to hear how much fun they have doing that, just listen to TFG Radio. They, they're real quick to be like, what the hell is this? So I'm just thinking like by yeah. some of my conversions. Yeah, I'd probably need to get those approved before I go. <laughs> yeah, I think I, at that point, I think I need to send Ben in for that one because I'm actually thinking like because of all of the Bellicor bits on there, the wings and the rock. Yeah, I think I need to send that in for like hey, is this okay? (laughs) Because there's no other major changes. He's not like lunging or anything. He's standing straight up, but it's just like, there's wings. (laughs) The funniest was last time you and I played, you're like, wow, those look great. Are those on the new 32 mil bases? I'm like, no, no. (laughs) (laughs) Oops. What do you mean? I need to look it up. I was like, why are L's on 32 milliliter bases? This makes no sense. (laughs) I don't know. I'll talk to GW. (laughs) Anyway. 
So big news all around there just from LVO alone. That's not the only news. Uh, we have a new Imperial Guard model coming our way. It is, yes, an oldie but a goodie. We have a new Aegis defense line coming out. Okay. <laughs> I'm thoroughly confused. I mean, I'm excited because I'm a big fortifications fan. And it was, was one of the all-time classics. So the hard part I have with this thing was the biggest problem with the Aegis defense line when it first came out was it never specified uh, how close you need to be to the wall to get the benefits from it. And then they came out mm -hmm. with the that whole trench work system, which I forgot what it was called, but it was... Oh, yeah, the Wall, wall of Martyrs. Martyrs. Yeah. And the cool thing about the Wall of Martyrs was, oh, is this the new Aegis defense line? Because you had to be in the trench. So basically, if you're on it, you're getting the benefits of the trench. And then they come out with this new one. I'm like, yep, it still doesn't have a, it has a small base, but then the, the, the walls kind of extend out like wings from this base. And so it's just a wall. So I'm like, okay, do you have to be within three inches? Are we going to play that game again? Oh, here we go. So it does look better, but I just was one of those. We're opening up the same can of worms all over again. Put a, put a base on it. Yep. Yep. It can even be square. Yeah. The good news is he had all interlocks. So that was always one of the fun part was the old Aegis defense line was all these little pieces. They're like bigs and smalls and you could, and players would just kind of like string them along across the battlefield in, in crazy ways. And, uh, it was a lot of uh, latitudes was given for how that thing could be deployed, but uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but if you have any uh, questions about the old uh, GW fortifications for guard, uh, just watch the latest episode of uh, Hammer and Bolter. They incorporated every one of them into a city as part of the animation. It's pretty well done, so it's pretty neat how they did that, and it's actually got a neat twist at the end. So for uh, that eleven minutes of episode of animation. Go ahead and check it out. It's actually pretty cool. So we have that. We have another piece of new tech coming out. Now, originally, this came out for a kill team. And you're probably like going, ew, I thought this was a 40K podcast. And at first, it came out. there was another similar piece of technology that came out earlier in the year for the uh, Tempest of War. And I'm curious if this is a change in user interface for the upcoming 10th edition. And what am I talking about here is that... For Kill Team, their version of the Nephilim rulebook or mission pack for competitive play is not a book at all. It is a deck of cards. So what that means is you flip the cards over and that determines your mission, your deployment zone, and also uh, a few other key things that don't really translate well to 40K. It's very interesting because they have a veto system very similar to Marvel Crisis Protocol, where, for example, I choose one of these three missions or two of these three missions and then robert can go well i definitely don't want to play that one so now we're that so we went from three to two to one very quickly that's what what's left that's what we're playing so the idea that the players have some agency in terms of determining their mission but it's just interesting just a very thoughtful you just run through the cards and that gets you through the opening salvo of setting up the game it's a very interesting change in user interface and making it a little bit simpler. So I curious. Yeah, it's the other game system that is doing stuff like that is, I mean, War Machine has their Steamroller packet. It's their competitive packet, and everything is set up to you put a zone here, you put a flag there, and every scenario is the same, at least for the player. And then the missions are just different. Like, obviously, zones are placed different. So it becomes more structured, like how the current 40k is. But otherwise, the objectives are all the same. There is no divergence of going and grabbing a secondary. There's no trying to, there's no trying to just accidentally kill your opponent's warlord or anything else. It's... All right, um, I'm going to lose the primary, so let's kill your big boss and let's win the game, shall we? So the, the card system is also something that they do in stuff like Star Wars Legion, where you flip over three cards of everything and you pick and choose one card. Like one person picks a card from there, one person picks a card from there, and then one person picks a last card. And then you pick what's left at the end of the row. And that's what determines how you yeah. set up the table. So very curious to see how that all, uh, when we do get this new mission in January, what does that look like and in what format we will see that. 
staying with the Star Wars Legion uh, trend, so one of those cautionary tales here from your friends here at the Exterminatus Podcast. Uh, the grass isn't always greener on the other side. Uh, Star Wars Legion just recently had their version of the Balance Day this late released. I don't play the game as much as I used to, but I'm a big enough Star Wars fan to bit, you know, read through the tea leaves, and um, they're running through some very interesting problems, very similar to 40k. Apparently, um, if you're an Imperial player, you are <laughs> a very broken list. Interesting enough, the uh, the, ty- the pikes, those of you who are not familiar with that, they are the spice lords or the drug runners of the um, Star Wars galaxy. They're, they're very prominent in the animated series, but not so much in the movies, live action. I think they made a small appearance in um, Book of Boba Fett. And um, so that's pretty where you can find them there. They are supposedly like harlequin overpowered <laughs> but my point yeah. with all this was is they too in that system have a, a similar like a stratagem type system and some of the stratagems are unique uh to the factions and some of them are general available to all factions what they did was to balance the game is they changed how much those stratagem cost by faction so back to using a 40k terminology, uh, Imperial Guard may only pay one command point for insane bravery, whereas uh, Cor- uh, Eldari may have to pay three. So it's an interesting balancing system. I thought that was a very interesting approach. Mm-hmm. And Harlequins have to pay or, seven. Could be, or they don't. They don't. It's not available to them. It would be interesting. Or Custodes are just no leadership twenty. They just don't care. They can do that. Too. In fact, they get a they get a command point refund if they have to. <laughs> do, like. <laughs> Oh, that's pretty funny. But um, but yeah, the, the, the little bit of Legion that I did play, and I am planning on offloading my droids. Those aren't the droids you were looking for? The game is, well, the game is fun, and it's interesting. I just, the my player, my player base is mainly going to be 40k, and having to bring completely different dice and completely different measuring and having to remember how terrain interacts differently when it's very much a, oh, cover does this in 40k and the rules are in the book, whereas in Legion, cover affects the amount of dice rolled. And there's ways that you can ignore... Like It's, it's just nitpicky enough where I'm just, mm. no. This is a little too much. And playing X-Wing had a nice flavor. I still want to try Armada at least once before I unload my separatist fleet but yeah legion is definitely just not my forte and war machine falls into my wheelhouse because it just physically makes sense like their their terrain in fourth in mark four is literally if the terrain is this many inches tall it blocks this size base if it's this many inches tall it blocks this and it scales upwards until you to the point where if an if a building is something like five inches tall, it blocks an 80 millimeter base. It blocks a colossal. It's freaking clean cut and dry given the terrain is all made to the same size. I know terrain isn't made equal. So, Yeah, I know there's a bad joke about war machine terrain there, but I'm going to stay away from it. Instead, uh, a little bit of trivia knowledge for some of our newer listeners and uh, newer players. And Robert, you may fall into this category. Did you know that the Star Wars Legion core rules were actually one point the proposed sixth edition warmish uh war warhammer rules huh. yeah no i was still uh mainly playing video games when sixth yeah. edition was around probably so midway through, uh, you know right when that that talk starts you know are we coming to the end of edition when we we're in fifth uh, this was leaked online, and it was known as the famously as the pancake rolls. I have no idea why they were called that, but and people were reading them, people were actually play testing them, and they're like, "This is a lot of fun." And it finally got some uh, leverage. They got um, some of the key designers uh, from the group, uh, Phil Kelly being the highest ranking one, feeling saying, "Yeah, it was." We did a thought experiment here in the design team. What if we just threw out everything and started the game from scratch? What would the design rules? What would the design team come up with for rules? And in the end, they kept it. It was too divergent from what the player base was, so they decided to go back to their uh, tried and true. And lo and behold, sixth edition came out, and um, <laughs> the rest is history, as they say. 
So I'm going to touch on the joke that you didn't make. I'm pretty sure it's because War Machine found a third dimension for their terrain. Finally, <laughs> it's not just all burlies and rings anymore. <laughs> oh, I mean, all all of the rings and stuff. <laughs> all of like the rings are still there, and there are still some benefits to having two dimensional terrain because obviously people are still get to play with their old metal models. So if you try to go up the hill. Your your warjack's just gonna dump 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 dump, dump. <laughs> just tumble down the hill. But it's there is a lot of rules for the actual terrain, and at some point I'm probably going to just read the entire rules packet for a day and just jot down shorthand notes. Because once the new year starts, I'll probably end up playing more War Machine, kind of alternating between 40k, just so that way I can actually start enjoying that hobby as well. And getting rid of all of my not D actual six sided dice games like Legion and whatnot. Oh yeah, there's several times I look over at the War Machine tables and I'm like, what are they doing? So anyway, as a terrain aficionado, I felt it very insulting, but whatever. <laughs> anyway, so uh, yeah, lots of news over the weekend. So over this past week, uh, lots of crazy stuff. Are you a gamer that has more bare plastic than you have time to paint? Do paintbrushes spontaneously combust when you hold them? If either of these is true, contact White Crow Studios and get your models painted by a college-trained professional painter. You can contact Bo at whitecrow.commissions at gmail.com and view his previously painted models at White Crow Studios on Facebook. Is your beer keg boring? Does it not have enough tentacles coming out of it? Does it not taste as funny as you remember because you didn't put a tear in it? Well, the wonderful makers of the Necro Nom 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 to replace your average pizza decided to come out with a, another book of the Lovecraft Cock. So they're from reddukegames.com and it will guide you through 78 different kinds of cocktails to summon a demon, summon a space bug. Who knows? Either way, it's going to be a very, very wonderful time, and we would highly recommend that you try to not ingest too many while at the gaming table, because we don't know exactly what's going to happen when you roll Perils of the Warp, or you roll a natural one on your persuasion check if you decide to play in So, if you're looking for fanciful drinks, go ahead and grab the Lovecraft Cocktails by the Mad Men at RedDukeGames.com, the makers of the Necro Nom Nom Hey listeners, this is Raymond with the Extreme Honest Podcast here to talk to you about KR cases. If you're like me and you're constantly looking for that better way to store your armies, then look no further than KR cases. That's right, this is the foam company known for their soft blue foam in the cardboard cases. They're a great way to mix and match whenever you're heading out for that next tournament. Just swap out those boxes and no need to worry about switching the foam in and out. They're sturdy, the boxes help protect your models, and if you when you order, they come fast, the order is right, and for a better price than the other guy. So go to krcases.com and when you place your order, be sure to mention the External House Podcast. So looking forward to LVL, we got, they said, about six weeks to get prepared and um, lots of prep work. Look to see lots and lots of little tournaments uh, sprouting up. But um, in a little thing there in the player pack, and the last thing we didn't touch on was, uh, what is the cutoff for your ITC points? That one, I actually, when I looked through the player packet, I actually don't think it was in the player packet for the cutoff, for like when the last event can be thrown into your thing but um i know it's the the only cutoff dates are for rules and stuff for the actual lvo event itself there's no mention of final day for your itc ranking but i'm pretty sure they would much rather not have your last minute rtt done on january 21st thrown right. into the rankings and them going Ugh. i do remember something to the effect of all events, I don't, yeah, it was either the Monday before LVO, all events had to be, had their scores finalized. And it's not just late events, but if you had any uh, corrections that need to be deemed. So, for example, um, 
if I had a, for me, if I was playing and I played in one tournament and they put my name as Eric Ear I C, and then later they had Ear I K. So now I have two separate profiles now in the ITC and I want to merge them. That needs to be done before that cutoff date. That's usually two weeks prior to LVO. So you got to get going on that. And generally everybody lights the last minute. So the poor guys at BCP just get uh, deluged by all this. And same thing with also if you have now in the past, they were really supposed to be stringent that the TOs had 30 days to get their events into the system. I don't know if they've been all that strict about that, but um, long story short is double check to make sure you're getting all your points uh, as soon as possible because the deadline is coming. Yeah, it is definitely a... If you're going to push for a couple practice RGTs, do it fast and then give yourself a break between them and LVO so that way your score can be adjusted and then you can go to LVO knowing exactly where you sit because I know um also Eric I'll leave this on you because we're going to have a very fun thing to talk about on the weekend of January 14th and 15th because this falls into that situation oh um the we have officially roped an interview for that weekend and that is the weekend of the nottingham gt so those tos better have some fast thumbs because the 14th is two weeks right before lvo so they only have essentially just under a week to have all of those scores finalized and everything to have them turned in if they want to safely have them entered in for everyone and it's supposed to be some key players going to that particular event that could determine the outcome of the championship. So, yeah, it's very important to make sure those get in. Yep. So, yes, keep your ears open for that specific episode because that will most likely be our second to last one before we go to LVO where I will come back dead tired <laughs> and Eric maybe also come back dead tired. He may even come back, you know, missing a leg because it got rusted off because he hasn't played a game in a month. <laughs> I might not come back. <laughs> <laughs> Just keep yeah. playing, keep practicing. There. Why not? Anyways, so and then uh, one last little tidbit. Uh, I was overheard this on another podcast. I probably should give them credit. It was on a signals from the front line, um, but they were able to confirm. So I'm just going to reiterate this. Everyone in the current ITC top 10, with the exception of Mike Porter, who is uh, one of the top Harlequin players from the United Kingdom, will be in attendance for the LVO. Ooh, buddy, spicy race, let's go. So uh, any of these last-minute tournaments that we talk about on a regular basis on the show, they will matter. Oh, yeah, because we can actually touch on the, the rankings at the end of, still at the end of the episodes like it always is, because it's a tight race for first and second. Indeed. So a couple key matchups uh, from this past weekend. So we have two large events to talk about in short order. So we want to start here or across the Let's pond? Let's do across the pond. Yeah. All right. So in fifth place over at the Grinning Demon GT, we have Tim Deetlefs. Deetlefs? Deetlefs? I don't know. With In fifth place with Harlequins. Then in fourth place, we have Nicholas Blackburn with just zinch in third place we have jake brunette with blood angels in second place we got ridvan martinez aka scari the the dark lord master himself from the art war coming in second with jukari and in first place we have sam procopio with blood angels so nice to see blood angels still packs a punch they were you know always one of those it's kind of like don't call it a comeback we've been here all season long and it's you know, for how many changes we've had in the meta, for them to remain competitive, pretty wild. Um, mm-hmm. Scari, on the other hand, man, it, I, I swear he could, you could just give him a, a box of bits and he'd figure out how to make an army work. And on the table, it's just he's he's got a good mastery of the game. I think his his skill level transcends whatever army he takes. But um, one of the things that we brought up there, uh, the Zeech list. Uh, what happens to those guys when the balanced data slate comes out and flamers finally get nerfed? They are going to cry burning tears of sorrow, Eric. 
because they will only be able to afford bringing two bricks of six. Yeah, I, I'm curious what change GW will make to them. We know it's coming. They 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 pretty much announced it, but it's just like, what is that change going to be? And is it just a points change? Is it a profile change? Is it a unit size change? I, I oh no idea. I'm pretty sure it's going to be a flat points change because of the fact that they don't want to change. They probably don't want to change the toughness. They don't want to change any of the other actual data sheet things because that would compl- that would change the identity of the unit a little bit. Because I'm looking at this list and it's 12 flamers. Each of them is 25 points. Realistically, for a unit with that much efficiency, you would want to pay something like 45 to even 55 points a model to have it be a fair and balanced thing so that way you have to pick and choose because for 45 points a model okay you drop it from 12 flamers to potentially eight or even less and if it's 55 points a model then at that point you drop it down to either one big brick of six or like two bricks of three two bricks of like something manageable that players can actually interact with at least once because they still shoot a billion shots yeah, it's issue with it it's a billion shots they have the fly keyword so they're really hard to pin down in assault assuming you of course survive the overwatch and yeah and then you, when you finally get to them it's like oh they're little flamers right they'll just blow up now they're t5 for crying out loud i'm like what the heck and three mm-hmm. wounds i think each yeah three wounds each. so yeah they're basically i'm trying to think of the space marine unit the guys with the gauntlet bolter thingies all over again, but with with jetpacks. I'm like, what the heck? Oh, yeah, the they're aggressors with jetpacks. Come on, <laughs> that'd be exactly. terrifying. GW, don't make those. What's an invul save? Bad, bad. Don't do it. <laughs> they have better than invul because it can't be ignored. Good point. Yeah, it's just, it's, yeah, that's crazy. But that was the one thing that I think they, you know, they keep saying. Well, they have like the six up in close combat. So I was like, uh, okay, if they make it. Yeah, but it takes sure they have a six up demon save in combat, but it takes three one damage attacks to kill a single flamer after it to hit and a to wound and rolling yeah. for saves. Like a custode getting into combat with them only has a saving grace with all of our attacks being based like two or three damage. So it's instead of three attacks, we take two to kill a flamer. What right. do you do? So yeah, it, it's it's incredibly sturdy unit with an incredible platform of firepower. Oh my god. So, Yeah, but we'll just have to see what happens there. I'm pretty sure Zinch isn't going to live to see the light for LVO of its current power. So people that are running more than eight flamers, count your blessings until you have to say bye-bye to half of your flamers and we all see a whole bunch of them go up on ebay for sale all right so yeah across the pond this event was actually in canada not england but um glad to see it um our next event though a little closer to home and uh in boston massachusetts yep and and i will say it's across the pond because it at least crosses lake michigan (laughs) so at the winter assault itc major such a fascinating name the the top five are something like this we have robin roberts playing gene Steeler cult why she wasn't a good america later this day which i want to talk about that one when we finish this up a little bit because he had a really tight (laughs) well no he had a he had a really tight record because his only loss he could have potentially won the event because he only lost to the guy who won it that's gonna suck so in fourth place we have dean giannotti with tyranids darn bugs they need to go away in third place we have sam o'brien playing tau in second place we have casey glenn playing blood angels and then in first place the guy who took it all we have daniel holmuth with yanari with inari how is that still relevant (laughs) i mean (laughs) I see the Incarn at the top of the list, and yeah, I just go, yep, nope, Incarn's there. I was looking at a few other competitive lists with uh, Eldari, and a lot of them were doing, um, oh, trying to remember the, the exact names of the far-flung craft worlds, but basically it was an exploding six uh, to hit 
and then it was another exploding six if you're coming out of reserve. And of course, he took the Falcon, so you have the drop pod thing, and then you also have the mm-hmm. webway. So pretty much everything's coming out of reserve <laughs> at some point or another. So he was getting like three hits per every six that he rolled. I was like, bro. And then of course, each of those sixes counts as a six to wound because everybody gets it except Votan. You must be this tall to get that mm-hmm. bonus. And uh, you know, Votan are just not tall enough. Yep. Grudge GW <laughs> times 10. <laughs> So I, I do want to run over the Yonari list a little bit because Yonari isn't something that we see every time. <laughs> hey, 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 hey. We have several local Yonari players here. One of them I like playing a lot because his Incarn is a 50-50 on whether or not he kills me or not. And actually, so, he was doing so well with it. That's why I didn't run my Yonari. I was like, yeah, I'm good. You know, I'm not going to do any bit. Let the market with it. So we have a Warlock Skyrunner. We have the Incarn. We have a Farseer Skyrunner. We have two units of Rangers. We have a 10-man big unit of... 10-man body of troop. We have a small unit of Witches. We have Striking Scorpions, Howling Banshees, Howling Banshees, Skyrunner, Warlock Skyrunners, more Warlocks. And then we have five Windriders. We have a nine-man squad of Souping Hawks. We have a three-man squad of Shining Spears. We have a single Warwalker. And then we have Baharoth. Well, yeah. And, and a Webway Gate. It drives me nuts, though, that they can always sneak Baharoth into a Nari list because it's it feels dirty because it feels because you're not supposed to include any special characters other than Yvrain, Bizark, and uh, the Incarn. But it, it works. I know the rule. Yeah, he specifically has Baharoth and an auxiliary yeah. support detachment. Which is, yeah, it's so. such a cheesy way of doing it, but I'm like, whatever. But um, yeah. he's so powerful. Yeah, you have to do that. To you know, he's just. I'm surprised they've not fixed that. That they've not changed that lack of interaction. But whatever. <laughs> yep. So as I mentioned earlier, Robin Roberts playing Gene Steeler Colt, he had two visits to table number one and so there was a he ended up playing he went undefeated until he ran into daniel in the final round now looking at his overall score his his third round score of a 55 probably would have sealed him into second place Uh, but he still could have beat daniel because he still scored a 78 the the gene circle list I'm not even going to bother trying to understand all of this because I know it's a lot, but it's a, he took Twisted Helix is what I think I saw. Yes. So for those you Gene Steeler Cult players out there in the wild, maybe crawling in the basement. I don't know. Please do not blow up my house (laughs) because you can do that to terrain. Maybe you can clarify what that does, but yeah, Gene Steeler Cult pops up somewhere again and almost does something. It's a plan generations in the making. Yep, they just failed at three inch charge. <laughs> well, that's the one thing I can tell if I'm on an Ari list. What they're trying to do is just max out those fate dice. That's with all those warlocks there. And just, uh, especially with uh, how many different bonuses they can get as well from all their psychic powers and just powering up. But uh, Gene Steeler, like a Twisted Helix is what you were looking at? Yep. Uh, Cult Creed, here we go. Uh, trying to find which one's which. But, yeah, no, it's it's nice to see other factions kind of coming out to play. I know most of the top five lists that we looked at kind of gave you a picture of what the top armies currently look like. Tyranids are still really good. Blood Angels are a sleeper army if you run into them and you're like i don't know what to do against all of that <laughs> except for shoot it so twisted helix by the way it's a plus one strength to uh, all characteristics of all models with this creed add one inch of movement to all models with this creed and each time an attack is made with this creed uh, against this unit against a unit with this creed an unmodified wound roll of one or two always fails irrespective of the abilities of the weapon or the attacker may have okay so the entire army gets to be wounded only on threes and they all move a yep. little bit faster Instru- hit a little harder okay that's actually yeah. pretty neat but tau can still do things and yeah Eldar, if someone has a deep understanding of what the book does, they can pull out a lot of stuff. And you just go, huh? What was that? 
I think the, the faction to watch out for, though, is still going to be Chaos Space Marines. That's a pretty th deep book. There's a lot of key... Yes, there's some archetypes, but there's there's a lot. There's I mean, there's three really strong archetypes mm -hmm. floating around, and that's not even counting the Thousand Suns Flamer thing we talked about earlier. So that I think is another faction. There's a lot. There's more to it than just uh, Abaddon and Possessed Bombs. Uh, there's there's quite a bit mm -hmm. in that book, and I have a feeling with over the next six eight weeks, there's somebody's going to find something that we hadn't seen before and go, oh my god, that's brilliant. And I think that's the faction that will do it. Yeah. And also, even though it's not going to be at LVO this year, unless the F LFG judges change their mind, the, the guard codex is definitely going to be a strong contender into the start of next season. So do not take them lightly if you run into them at LVO just because they're playing an old... That's a good point. Yeah. Uh, take a look at what is that ITC top 10 after a few small changes over this past weekend. 10th uh, place, Ben Cherwin at 1,344 points. Ninth place, friend of the show, Colin McDade. 8th place, Manny Chima. Uh, this just in, Manny has once again changed factions in which list he'll be bringing. More to that like, later in the show. 7th place, Nassim Fouchan making a late run. By the way, he's also the number one Stardis player, so... Uh, that for those of you who feel that Space Marines are unplayable, uh, Dr. Nassim. Mike Porter in sixth place, uh, Thomas Ogden hovering in fifth, David Gaylard at fourth, John Lennon jumping up to third with his big win at uh, New Mexico at the GW Open. Uh, second place, Jack Harpster. And then number one, uh, Vic Vichay with 1,469 points. Um, realistically, it's... 400 points separating not even excuse me 100 points i can speak i can do math between one and five we know that all top five are going to the lvo and then you start looking down to even down to ben Cherwin. he's only 120 points out of first place yeah 125 so uh lots of room to move around and um mm -hmm. to get to press the issue you look at vic vijay and you look at jack harpster it is a separation of 5.1 points quite literally if vic wants to maintain a first place finish at for the itc championship he needs to beat jack harpster by six by six or seven points to maintain that first place finish which means if Jack Harpster and Vic Vijay play each other at all towards the start of LVO, that will seal the deal on whether or not Vic can maintain that lead or if Jack can steal it. Because if Jack beats Vic, then Vic loses out on a chunk of points. But, I mean, it is very much anyone's game, except for maybe Ben Sherwin, because 125 points is a lot to try and recover out of LVO. It is quite a bit. It's not out of the realm of things. LVO is roughly, you know, top spot's going to get you about 300, 350 points. Uh, we're not 100% sure as that uh, formula is um, proprietary. But uh, I think the key thing, which you brought up, is even if these any of these top players don't face each other head-to-head -head in on day one, uh, should any of them falter, let's say they all lose one game. First of all, they're at risk of not making the shadow round. But number two, where that loss falls could be the difference between winning the championship and uh, missing out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is definitely a, it's going to be a very, very tight race for everyone in the top 10. And the fact that they're all going to be there and the, the qualifier system is not in place no. yet. <laughs> so as, as my, as my girlfriend joked this weekend, what if I get paired into Manny Chima round one? Well, then you get paired into Manny Chima round one. You and him have a wonderful chat in the morning while he's rolling dice and you're picking up your army. <laughs> you know what, though? Um, I welcome that. Uh, having been through that same predicament, it, it, it's awesome. You know, Israel was really cool. It's like, yeah, I played him. I said, and um, it was a great experience. And uh, I think, yeah, the, I still to this day kick myself for I was a bit starstruck and massively deployed poorly and played because of that. I was on my back foot all game. Yeah, I was just like, damn it. 
it could have been a much closer game. Do I still think I would have won? No. Uh, I knew he had another gear still left in his sports car list, but um, yeah, it just would have been. Oh. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, being able to say you played Manny Chima to five points. Yeah. Like, that would be great. Um, overall, LVO this year is going to be a very fun event, and we'll be able to chat with everyone about their feelings with the new missions that are being released supposedly on the first, which is, I think we accidentally glazed over that, Eric, or did you already mention that? I think I may have glazed over that, but yes, uh, as was announced uh, a few, it was teased a few times during the uh, meta watch video with uh, Mike Brandt and Stuart Black on GW's website. But uh, yeah, expect a new mission pack in early January. So if they actually keep it to that release schedule, so that way it releases every six months on time. The Oh, no, we did talk about it a little bit. Duh. We, tar- we talked about it right at the start of the show. I get lost so easily nowadays. But yeah, no, you can definitely catch us at LVO. Talk to us about it. Get posted on our Facebook. Like, however you want to chat with us about it, feel free. And I know, as I said earlier, the potential start of the Exterminos podcast, at least, with my schedule allowing the potential streaming, if not streaming of posting recorded battle reports will probably end up starting sometime towards the start of February. Give me some time to get the system all figured out and find a place to actually do it at that isn't inside of a garage here in Arizona, which is not fun in July. I don't think anyone wants. Yeah. It's no fun in July. And it's no fun when it's February because it's still freaking cold. Of course, cold here is a very different <laughs> relative term. So <laughs> yeah, that's true, but still also echoing garage is not a great place to point. So, so a lot more to talk about as we wind down the season, uh, a couple quick things. Um, there's a give props where props is due. People ask, Hey, what happened to your expanded, uh, records and, and stats um you know what stat check does a better job than we do so uh we'll keep we'll bring back the mid table obscurity that was a very popular uh segment because that's something that uh we can still do that no one else is doing but in terms of you know top players and the uh stat check website uh, you might want to do a google search under stat check 40k so you don't get fantasy football stuff uh, unless that's what you're looking for anyway but they have a, a real neat hybrid ranking system involving both ELO and um, actual faction strength as well as actual uh, gameplay. So basically how well is somebody performing above what their faction performs. So kind of cool to have a look at that. And uh, it's a very similar to the ranking system we used to use for predicting the winners of LVO, which we uh, have been very successful with. So we'll have to take a look at that and um, as we get closer to LVO. But uh, anything else, Robert, to add before we close out the show? Um, if any of you can tell me the exact proper way to paint insulation foam without it, you know, evaporating to acetone, be sure to let me know because I have a display board that needs to be finished. <laughs> I can take that for you. So uh, is it already been primed at all or is it still just Nope, it is still Excellent. bright pink. So I would recommend going, uh, go to Home Depot and get the bare uh primer and paint combined and use that because that will actually seal the foam so whatever paint you use above that it won't get absorbed as much it's cheap enough paint that um, you're not going to go broke but also uh, it goes on pretty thick so it covers up the the pink stuff pretty good the only thing you may need a second layer on is the areas where the insulation company may have um, printed some material that may need a second coat Realistically, I would advise sanding that with a high, like a, a 1200 grit sandpaper just to get that off and make it a little bit easier. And uh, that works out really well. And then once you got that coat of the Home Depot paint on there, you can use your regular uh, GW paints or uh, whatever brand you use, P3, uh, Ardell, whatever you want to do. And then you can go to town on the details. Ah. Okay, because the original version that I heard was you want to drench this thing in house glue and then latex paint. Um, yeah, or you can use Mod Podge. I no, I mean the key thing what melts the foam is the propellant that's in the spray cans. 
So if you're using a paintbrush, uh, you can use a bigger size paintbrush. You can go to town on that if you want to spend a few extra bucks, especially if you're a tournament organizer and you have to paint 60 of these things. Uh, the a Wagner Power Painter type gun works really well as um, just keeping that thing. It's basically a, uh, <laughs> a half gallon sized airbrush. So that it's great for painting a lot of stuff really quickly. It's not the most accurate, but you can get a decent Zenithal uh, shade on stuff. But uh, it's, yeah, the propellant. Now, the other option, I've not tried it. I admit I have a can in my possession. I have not had to try it. Army Painter has come out with a terrain series of primers. And supposedly they use a water-based propellant, so it will not melt the foam. Can't recommend it because I haven't used it yet, but one of these days I will get to it because I have a project due in two weeks and I have the paints in that color to use it on so maybe that could be another option as well okay but no that, that's yeah, all so i got a quick improvised tactical terrain segment sent to, at the end of the show perfect <laughs> yeah An old favorite comes back well anyway that's our show for this week uh my name's eric and thank you for I'm listening Robert. to the exterminatus podcast <laughs> <laughs>